If you are turning with me in your Bibles, we're going to be starting in Proverbs. Proverbs 3, verse 5. But today, I want to talk to you about something that you can't buy. You can't purchase it. You can't buy it, but you can earn it. You can't see it, but you can feel it. You can't give it. No, excuse me. You can give it, but you can't demand it. You know what it is? Trust. I've been thinking a lot about trust lately. And I've been doing some some studying and looking up some scriptures and stuff. And what I'm finding is that faith and trust can be interchangeable throughout Scripture. A lot of times, most times, a lot of our famous verses on faith or trust, or the word used there is both. You look back at the meaning, it's, it's faith and trust. And that messes with my mind a little bit. Like we don't want to believe that. Faith and trust, are they can be interchangeable. They can be the same the same thing. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Faith and trust, they can be interchangeable. What is a relationship without trust? Not a very good one. It's not a good relationship. I mean, I, I have a good relationship with my wife, Jessie, but if there's no trust there, it, it would be a relationship that needs work. Can we say that? If we have a relationship with God, if we believe that we're supposed to be in relationship with God and people, and it comes up all the time, we talk about relationship a lot, different aspects of forgiveness and relationship with God, relationship with people, relationship with our spouses or brothers and sisters. And for it to be a good relationship, there must be trust. Otherwise, it needs some work. So why do we say things like, I'm having a hard time trusting God right now. I'm having a hard time trusting God in this situation. I'm, I hear it all the time. Always. But if I put that in a natural relationship, like if every time you, you got around Jesse, you heard her saying, Oh, how's life going? It's pretty good. The kids are good, but I'm having a hard time trusting Dusty. Wouldn't you question our relationship? Or question my character? Question who is Dusty, really? Behind closed doors, maybe I don't know him like I thought I knew him if his wife's always having a hard time trusting him. But yet, as Christians, we do that with God. Having a hard time trusting him. You will have moments of doubt in life. We all do. That's normal. We're going to have moments of doubt. We're going to have moments where we question. We're going to have, yeah. We're going to have moments of doubt. And, and sometimes you'll live in the land of faith and doubt at the same time. Remember that guy that, um, he came and he brought his, 
his son that was demon-possessed, and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus was up on the mountain doing something else, so he gives him to the disciples and like, hey, can you heal my boy? And they prayed for him, and nothing happened. It didn't come out. And the kid's having seizures, and, and it's throwing him into fires and in the water and trying to drown him and stuff, and nothing happened. Right, remember, and Jesus comes down the hill and is like, what's going on? And he said, oh, brought my kid to your disciples, and they couldn't even heal him. And when Jesus asked him, do you believe, do you believe that I can heal him? And he said, I believe, I believe, help my unbelief. See, he was living in the land of faith and unbelief at the same time. And he was honest with Jesus. He's like, yeah, I believe, but I don't believe too. What? Yeah, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because I believe, but not 100%. It's okay to be in that place. I've been in that place. In the last 30 minutes, no. Like, it's okay to be in that place. So you're going to have moments of doubt. Sometimes you'll live in the land of faith and doubt at the same time. But if it's a real relationship, we should learn to trust more and more. As we grow spiritually and as we mature spiritually, our trust or faith should grow stronger. It should get bigger. You know anybody that just trusts God always? Like that scripture says, somebody that has big faith, has big trust. They trust God. They have big faith. They do big, crazy things. I know people in my life that that speak into my life that I admire and they have big trust, big faith. So if you're spiritually maturing, your trust should grow stronger. Your faith should be getting bigger. How does Jesse know that she can trust me? How would our relationship get stronger and stronger as we get older for her to not feel like she can, for her to not be saying what I said a minute ago? I don't know if I trust him. I don't trust him. Because I've kept my promises. And she can look at the past and see, well, he's been trustworthy before, so... He'd be trustworthy again. God has been faithful. So what if I told you, what if I made you a promise that next week I'm going to preach the whole entire message in Spanish? So bring any of your Spanish-speaking friends if you know any Latinos, if you got any Mexican buddies at work, whatever, bring them on next Sunday. I'm going to preach the whole entire message in Spanish. And then y'all show up next week, and I stand up here, and we get done with worship, and I'm like, uh, uh, hola, taco, uh, uno, dos, tres, uh, uh, gracias, Dios, uh, come uh, let's pray. 
you're going to be sitting there. You're going to have all your Spanish-speaking friends that you brought in here. And you're going to be thinking, what in the world just happened? He promised that he was going to preach a good message in Spanish. You know what happened? I wasn't prepared to do what I promised. Yeah, I, I could talk it, but I couldn't back it up. See, I didn't put in the work to back up my promises. It's easy to say it, but I couldn't back it up. A promise is only as good as your ability to fulfill it. That's all, you know, we did, Zach and Heather, they're going on the honeymoon. They left today. Thank God Zach's over his week-long sickness, thanks to whoever prayed for him and made him soup and stuff. Um, but, so two weeks ago, at their wedding, they said vows to each other that they wrote. And that was even, that was kind of a funny thing, because they wrote vows, and they talked to me about the wedding, and I'm like, okay, you can write your own, or I can do the repeat after me's, and so they said, well, maybe we want to do both, or maybe... We're not sure. Maybe you could do some repeat after me's and we'll do the ones we wrote or whatever. And so I wasn't sure what we were doing. So I went ahead and wrote some repeat after me's down, got those prepared in case. And then the night of the rehearsal, I'm like, okay, guys, so there are, they're standing in front of me. We're going over the wedding. And I'm like, y'all, do y'all want repeat after me's or y'all want to do the ones? And Heather's like, well, can we hear the repeat after me's? So I said, sure. So I read off what I had wrote. I threw my heart out there. I thought they were pretty good. I kind of teared up a little bit. And Heather said, eh, we'll just go with what we wrote. Thanks. <clears throat> yeah, I thought they were pretty good. I <laughs> guess not. <laughs> so write your own vows if you want me to preach your wedding, apparently. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, why was I even? Oh. oh vows are promises. <laughs> Sorry, got off on the rabbit trail. Vows are just promises that you're making to each other. And they're beautiful and they're sweet and they're awesome and I'm going to love you forever in sickness and in health and no matter whatever happens. I'm gonna, but then, what happens when you get home? What happens after the honeymoon? What happens when the emotions and the feelings wear off? Are you going to be good to your word? Are you going to stick to what you said? Or was it just talk? What does your track record say? Getting married doesn't change you. You can look at somebody's track record and see. You know, if I go up to the bank and I come pulling up and I walk in and I tell them, hey, I need to speak to the manager here. I want to get a loan for $1 million. They're going to be like, who are you? No, I'm serious. I'm here to get a loan for a million dollars. You know, the very first thing they're going to do is, okay, have a seat, sir. Let me get your name, your social security number. Let me get, they're going to start wanting information. You know why they're wanting information? Because as fast as I'm giving it to them, they're typing it in. You know why? To see what promises I've made in the past and if I did what I said I was going to do. If I've got any credit. Have you done what you said you were going to do in the past? Or not. So, where are we going with all this? Some of y'all need to build your credit. I kind of do too, probably. You know how you do it? 
You start small. You take what you can get. Well, I ain't paying 19% interest. Yeah, you are. Because you hadn't done what you said you were going to do in the past. So you're going to have to take what you can get right now. You may have to eat a little bit of crow. Well, that ain't fair. I'm not talking about the bank. I'm talking about spiritually. And in some relationships where you've lost trust. Where you got no credit. Start small. Start building it back. Somebody's in a huge moment of doubt. And this message is God reminding you, I'm faithful. You can trust me. Let's look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Proverbs 3 says, Trust. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways. That word ways is a Hebrew word. It was translated ways. It means path, root, journey, or way of life. So in your way of life, on your journey, wherever life takes you, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge is also a Hebrew word, and it means to know, to recognize, or to understand. So in your way of life, in your journey... Learn how to recognize God. Look for God. Learn how to understand God, how He's working through that situation. Because then you'll be able to do what the, the first verse we read says, is trust God. How do I trust God with all of my heart? I want to trust God with all of my heart. How do I do that? That's how He just told us in the next verse. Learn to recognize God. Learn to understand Him on the journey, on the path that life takes you on. If you look for Him, if you know Him, remember Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They won't follow another. They won't go astray. Why? Because they know me. If you know Him and you're in relationship with Him, you recognize Him. It makes it a whole lot easier to trust. It's a lot easier to trust Him. You'll see that He's trustworthy. Oh, but I can't see it. God, you want me to do what? If I can see it, then I'll believe it. Prove it. Let me see it. God says if you believe it, then you'll see it. You guys, remember, I think I told y'all before about the uh, African Impala and how they're just amazing athletes in the animal world that they can jump 10 feet high, which is pretty impressive. Like they could jump over a 10-foot high fence, but they can jump 30 feet long, like a distance of 30 feet that's pretty far. So they can jump 10 feet in the air and go 30 feet. 
distance. But yet they're held in captivity in zoos and wherever they keep them, they hold them with a three-foot-tall fence. All they have to do is dig a little, a little ditch on the other side or they'll put some shrubs or something because the African impala will not jump if they can't see where their feet are going to land. They won't do it. They'll live in captivity their whole entire life and they'll never jump it when they have the ability to jump easily. They can jump three times that high and much further than the ditch or the bushes or anything that's on the other side. But if they can't see where they're going to land, they won't jump it. Their potential is amazing, but they're limited by their vision. How true is that for some of us? We talked a couple weeks ago about how there's an eagle, that you're an eagle and you act like a chicken. Don't spend your life acting like a chicken. Same thing, your, your potential is amazing, but you're limited by your vision. You're scared to take that leap, to jump, to do what God's placed inside of you to do. Look at Luke 18, Luke 18, 26. The rich young ruler, uh, he comes to Jesus and he's asking Jesus, you know, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, just sell everything you got and give it to the poor and come follow me. And Jesus gave him the call, the same call that Jesus gave to the disciples. Come follow me. When Jesus healed people, he didn't tell them to come follow him. He told them to go back home, go don't tell anybody, go wash in the river, do all this stuff. But to the disciples, he'd come along to like Peter or somebody and say, hey, come follow me. Well, Jesus gave this dude the same instructions. Scripture tells us Jesus loved him. And Jesus said, go sell all your stuff to the poor and come follow me. And this guy was like, I can't do that. And it tells us he was grieved or he was upset because he had a lot of things. He had a lot of stuff. And he couldn't do it. Jesus gave him the same call that he gave the disciples. And we don't even know his name. Why? Because he had a lot of stuff. He had two camels. Like, what does that matter now? couple thousand years later like nobody cares about all his stuff nobody even knows his name or how much stuff he had but he was sad so look what Jesus said after that happens 18 verse 26 then who has any chance at all the others asked this dude got sad and walked off and the disciples were like Jesus hold on and who has any chance at all? No chance at all, Jesus said. If you think you can pull it off by yourself, every chance in the world if you trust God to do it. Say, it's not about you. You've got to learn how to trust. Jesus is teaching the disciples you've got to learn how to trust God. You've got no chance of entering into the kingdom. You've got no chance of entering into God's kingdom if you think you can do it. 
if you're trying to do it on your own and through your strength. Jesus said, if you don't learn to trust God and you won't enter into the kingdom, well, what is the kingdom? One day when I die, I go to heaven. No. The kingdom of God is not bread or meat, but righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. I want those things. I want peace. I want joy, real joy that is not dictated by circumstances. I, I want righteousness. I want to know that I'm good with God, that I'm in right standing with God, that I'm okay. And that's what brings peace and joy. I, I want to walk in the kingdom. I want to be part of the kingdom. Then you got to learn how to trust. Y'all remember Job? Job had a yet praise. Everything bad that you could imagine happened to Job. All his kids died, his everything. God killed his animals. God, well, God didn't do it, but God let the devil do it. Gave him permission. The devil's like, oh, he'll curse you if we do some bad stuff to him. And God's like, no, he won't. No, he trusts me that much. Go ahead. And man, he tried everything on this dude. And Job wouldn't curse God. Everything went wrong. I think it's funny that God gave the devil like complete green light and said, take away everything that matters to him and everything that would hurt him. And he didn't touch his wife. I don't think they had a very good relationship. <laughs> if God gave the devil a green light on me, Jesse would be the first thing he'd take out because that's what would hurt me the most. <laughs> Job had a yet praise. He said, though you slay me, I don't understand. Though you slay me, though you hurt me, yet... I will trust you. Yet, I will trust you, though you slay me, though I don't understand, though you take from me, I'm going to bless your name. That's maturity. That's not being led by your emotions or your feelings. Because I'm sure that's not what Job felt like in the moment. At times in life of great loss and great hurt and great pain, we're talking physical pain, we're talking emotional pain, we're talking about the loss of loved ones, we're talking about the loss of pets, animals, his livelihood. I mean, he got hit on all sides and he said, though you slay me, yet I still trust you. Even though I don't understand that's maturity. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Look what Paul said. Y'all remember Paul, our instructor. First Corinthians 13, 8. Charity or love never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. And whether there be tongues, they shall cease. And whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. 
for we know in part. Remember what we talked about last week? It, it's blurry. I don't know everything. We know in part. It's still a little blurry. And we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect or mature is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood or I reasoned as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I understood. That word is understood to reason or to estimate like a child. Paul said, when I was a child, I estimated like a child. I understood like a child. Paul said, y'all are still estimating like children. How does a child estimate? It's not about the future. They don't see the big picture. I mean, they can't see what they really need over what they want. If I bring my youngest, who, he's 11, if I bring Sky in here and I ask him what he needs to live a fulfilled, happy life of purpose, you know what kind of answers he's going to give me? I'm going to need a, I'm going to get a good PlayStation. I'm going to need some candy, a couple of cases of voodoo chips. Uh, let me see here. Uh, oh, I need to be able to play a sport, so I'm going to need to play football and baseball if I'm going to be happy in life. And I mean, why? Because he's, he estimates like a child. He doesn't know what he needs. He's immature. He thinks like a child. He estimates like a child. He... He can't see what he needs over what he wants. Oh, he's probably going to need Wi-Fi too. As a dad, I can say, no, that's not what you need. Now, if we're growing spiritually, what we want changes. The things that we want should change as we mature. Paul said, I used to reason or estimate like a child. When I'm a child, I want cake. Now that I'm a man, I know I don't need cake. When I was young, I wanted the biggest jacked up mud truck I could get. Now, my first question will be, well, what kind of gas mileage does it get? <laughs> it changes. Now, I remember as a teenager running through Six Flags thinking, yeah, this place is awesome, hanging out with my friends, riding on these roller coasters. And now I go there with my kids and I'm walking through thinking, my God, you see the prices on this stuff? They're robbing us. What do you talk, $6, $18 for a drink? You kidding me? Let's go get in the line. At least we've already paid for unlimited rides. So then we go stand in the line and I'm sitting there thinking, my gosh, we're going to wait an hour and a half to ride a 14 second ride. You get up there and there's a kid 
a little kid over there. Hey, that's strange. Why is there a kid over there with a Six Flags shirt on? And then it dawns on me. Wait a minute. That's an employee. How old is he? Six? He's in charge of making sure we're buckled in safely? He's over there flossing. And I'm not talking about his teeth. I'm pretty sure he's high. And he's in charge of checking to make sure my children are safe on this ride. When I was a child, I estimated like a child. Whee! Riding again. When I became a man, I put away childish things. As we grow spiritually, things change. We think about what we need. A child is led by feelings. A child is led by their emotions. That's a huge sign of immaturity. And there's a whole lot of adults running around led by their feelings and their emotions, and they do what feels good. And they get, you make them mad, they fly off the handle and scream at you and cuss at you and whatever, give you half a peace sign. They're led by their feelings and their emotions. It's just childish. It's reckless. And you hurt the people around you. You know your emotions will lie to you. So just think about for a minute. Do a little self-evaluation. I'm going to ask you this question. Do you live by your emotions or your convictions? When you go through your day, are you, are you led more by what you feel or by your convictions? By what you know is right. Because when I'm tired, when I don't want to get up in the morning, my emotions say go back to bed. Close your eyes. Don't get up and do what you were supposed to do. Who cares? My convictions say, no, get up. See, when I'm hurt physically or when life knocks me down or when I'm hurt emotionally or when my emotions, they say, stay down. It's over. You're done. My convictions say, rise. Rise up. Are you led by your emotions or your convictions? We can't rely on how we feel as Christians. Our feelings, our thoughts, and our emotions, they go up and down. Think about this. If you go to a scary movie... You can know that it's not real and still feel afraid. Why people go to a scary movie? Because it scares you. It makes you feel afraid. Even though you know it's a movie, 
It's on a screen. It's not real. It's fake. And you know that. And you could sit there and tell yourself that and still get scared. <gasps> and something jumps out on the screen. You still feel afraid. You can still be scared. Because the movie makers manipulate your mind. So that you begin to feel a reality that is not truly there. How strong your emotions and your feelings are. You know the movie's not real. You know it's not real, but you feel like it's real. So you get scared. Feelings have no intellect. All they can do is react. Having faith is not based on how you feel. Trusting God is not based on how you feel. Having faith and trust in people is not based on emotion. It's not based on how you feel. Look at Luke 17, 3. Jesus is teaching the disciples, and this is where he started this conversation out by telling them, remember, it's better to have a millstone tied around your neck and be cast into the sea than to offend one of these little ones or these immature ones or somebody that's estimating like a child. And then verse 3, Jesus says to the disciples, be alert. If you see your friend going wrong, correct him. And if he responds, forgive him. Even if it's personal against you, and repeated seven times through the day. And seven times he says, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. Forgive him. The apostles came up and said to the master, Give us more faith. Translation, we can't do that. I can't forgive somebody over and over and over and over and over, Jesus. You don't have to give me more faith. I don't have the power to do that. Give me more faith. Give me more trust. But the master, Jesus said, you don't need more faith. There is no more or less in faith. If you have a bare kernel of faith, say the size of a poppy seed, you could say to this sycamore tree, go jump in the lake. And it would do it. Jesus is teaching the disciples that it's not about what you feel. Well, I don't feel like forgiving him. I feel like holding a grudge. You know what? I don't. Jesus is teaching them it's not about what you feel. I want big faith. I want mountain-moving faith. Jesus says, "Then you need to trust me." And people, you got to forgive. How? You're never going to trust anybody if you don't learn how to forgive. You're going to get so much bitterness going on inside of you, and you're going to you not trust him because he hurt you, and then you're not going to trust anybody. All men are bad, or you're not going to trust that church because you got hurt there, and you never learned how to forgive, and so now you don't trust any churches, or you're not going to... You don't learn how to forgive. You're going to have major trust issues. 
in every relationship and on every job and every business, every situation you try to walk into, if you've not learned how to forgive, you probably don't have a lot of faith. You probably don't have a lot of trust. That's why Jesus ties these two together. He says, you got to forgive. Because the more bitterness and unforgiveness you're carrying around, the harder it's going to be for you to trust people and ultimately trust God. You're going to have small faith and little trust. You got to forgive. Okay, but I trust God, but people? I don't want to trust people. You have to trust people. See, we all want to be trusted. I don't think there's any one of us, anybody in this room, I could ask you, do you want to be trusted? And you're going to say, yeah. I want to be trusted. In fact, I feel like I'm trustworthy. Everybody in here, you feel like you're trustworthy, I'm sure. We all feel like we're trustworthy, and we all want to be trusted, but then it's kind of hard for us to turn around and trust somebody. But how can I expect you to trust me when I won't trust you? Is that a good relationship? No. How could I expect Jesse to trust me if I didn't trust her? I'm constantly not believing her and not trusting her. I don't trust her, but I expect her to trust me. Well, that's kind of hard. You got to trust people. And guess what? There's risk of failure. Because sometimes they're going to break that trust. You're going to trust them with a responsibility and they're going to let you down. You're going to trust them with a relationship and they're going to go and do something. There's risk of failure. But that's okay. Jesus modeled it for us. Look at what he said in Luke 22. And I'm wrapping up. We're almost done. Luke 22. Jesus is talking to Peter. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Remember, that's Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. That's pretty powerful right there that Jesus, the Son of God, was praying for Peter. Jesus said, I've prayed for you that thy faith or trust fail not. Jesus said, Peter, Simon, Simon, I've been praying for you that your faith and that your trust won't fail. It's going to be very important. You're going to fail. You're going to mess up. You're going to fall down. You're going to make mistakes. I'm not even praying that you don't fail because you're going to. I'm praying that your faith doesn't fail. That you don't stop believing. Don't stop. And when thou art converted. Converted from what? From doubt to belief. Strengthen thy brethren. 
He said, Peter, I need you. I need you to have big faith. I don't, I need, I'm praying that your faith doesn't fail. I need you to trust big. Why? Because you're going to have to strengthen your brethren. They're going to need to be around somebody with big faith to give them faith. They're going to need to be connected to you to make it through. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. I'm your ride or die, homie. I ain't going nowhere. I'm with you to the end. Yeah, I, You don't got to worry about me. You don't got to pray for me. My faith won't fail. My faith's big. I'm with you. I ain't going nowhere. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Jesus said, no, like, you're going to fail. I thank you for the declaration. Thank you for telling me how you're with me, but I already know you're going to fail. But I'm still willing to trust you. I know you're going to deny that you ever knew me, and I know that you're going to hurt me really bad, but Peter, I'm still going to trust you because I need you. I need you to help build my church. Man, you're going to be needed by these other disciples. I need you to have big trust. I need you to have big faith. I know you're going to mess up. That's okay. Jesus told Peter, I've, I've prayed that your faith or your trust won't, would not fail. Not you, your faith. Jesus did it with Peter. He said, I trust you, even though I know you'll deny me. I need you to remember who you are. Remember, I named you Peter. Petra, rock, piece of the rock. I need you to trust me. So I'm going to trust you. It's easy to say, I trust God. We probably all, if I asked any one of you after we left the service, hey, do you trust God? You'd say, yeah. <laughs> it's easy to say that. It's easy to say, I trust God. You see this nice, beautiful stool right here? It's made to hold up weight, and I trust it. I trust that it could hold up my 210 pounds and all the rest of me. <laughs> and the other half. No. I trust that it can hold me up. I believe, I believe, I believe. I've still not had faith in that stool. I still haven't really trusted in that stool. I still haven't had faith in the stool. Even though I sit here and say I believe in it, I trust in it, I know that it has four legs, I know that it can hold me up, I know that it can support me. I know that it can give me rest. I've still not had faith in it. I've still not trusted in it. I've still not relied on it. How many of us do that with God? I believe in Him. I trust in Him. I find rest in Him. 
He carries me and shelters me. And I, I, do you? Man, pretty much trust the button. I mean, have we had faith in him? Do we really trust him to do what he said he's going to do? And then once we've really trusted God, can we really trust people? Can we trust another person knowing that we might get hurt? And that's where the forgiveness that Jesus was talking about has to come into play because we're going to get hurt. If we're going to trust people, we're going to get hurt. So we got to grow from it. We got to let it make us better, not bitter. Stronger, not weaker. We walk through it. We have big faith and trust. And as we get more mature and we get older, we learn to trust more. And as we trust God more, we trust people more. In fact, we learn to trust first. There's a great book on that if you want to read a, a wonderful book. The name of it is Trust First. Where we have to trust people first. We trust God. We trust people first before they give us a reason. Jesus trusted Peter. I heard a, um, a story about this guy, and I have no idea if it's a true story or not, but it's a great example. So, uh, The guy was in Alaska, and him and his wife had moved out, going to try to live off the land, and they knew the winters were going to be really bad, and they thought they had everything they needed, and he hunted and tried to get fully prepared. Well, winter came. They got completely snowed in. There was no way around, and there's this giant lake, and that the lake was their only way back to any type of civilization or help or anything like that. Everything was fine until his wife got really sick to the point where she was going to die if he couldn't get some help, if he couldn't get her some medicine or get some help. And so he put on all his gear, and he went out, and he knew... He wasn't going to be able to get around either way because of the snow and the ice. And his only way was going to be across that lake. But he had no idea if the lake was frozen enough for him to walk on. And so he was so scared and he didn't really trust or have the faith that the ice was thick enough to hold him up. And he started out across that lake and he knew like this is my only way. My wife's going to die. It's going to take me months to get around the other ways where if I go straight across this lake... I may get some help and save her life. So he starts going across, and he's so scared, and he keeps imagining, thinking he hears it cracking and creaking, and he gets down on his knees, and he's like crawling, and he's thinking about it's going gonna, it's gonna to bust through, and he's so scared, he's barely moving across this lake, down on his hands and knees, and then he hears this rumbling, shaking noise, and he's thinking, oh, it's cracking, it's cracking. Oh, no, no. And he's looking around trying to see where he doesn't fall in and starts trying to back up. And the noise is getting louder and louder. And he feels the ice vibrating. And he's like, what in the world? And he looks over and he sees two horses prancing, pulling a sleigh across the ice. And another guy's just driving the sleigh. And they come running like right beside him. 
there they go, headed towards the town where he was headed, and they wave at him as they go by. And he's like, it's holding up two horses, a sleigh, and a big boy. Now I know it can hold me. So he jumped up and ran, began to run across the lake. Because now he believed. He had faith and trust. And so now instead of a scared, timid crawl, trying to get where he needed to go, trying to do what he needed to do, trying to fulfill his purpose, that's slow motion scared, which is how some of us live life. We're scared to take off after what God wants us to do. We're scared to run because we don't know what might happen to my crack of my... But once he had faith and trust, once he got around somebody that was trusting in that ice, somebody that had such big faith that they were doing big crazy things, it gave him the faith to say, hey, if they can do it, I can do it. Hey, if, if God's big enough to support that, He can sure do what I want to do. So He jumped up and started to run. So I ask you today, do you believe God can do it? Whatever it is, whatever you're facing, Whatever relationship, whatever loss, whatever hurt, whatever pain, whatever obstacle, whatever, whatever it is for you. This is probably different than what it is for me. Your mountain probably doesn't look the same as my mountain. But do you believe, do you have the trust and the faith, do you believe that God can do it? Because it's easy to stand in here on a Sunday morning when we all get together and the atmosphere is right and, and we get just the right music playing. It's easy to stand in here and sing. I see you move. You move a mountain. And I believe. I see you do it again. But do we really believe it? Do you believe that He can move your mountain? Do you believe that He can move your obstacle? Do you have faith? Do you trust? That's what it all boils back down to. Do you have the faith? Do you have the trust that He's that big? He can take care of it, that He can handle it. How do I strengthen my trust? You get around people with big faith. That's what Thomas did. Remember Thomas? We'll close. We'll close right here in John 20, 19. Jesus died on the cross. Died and paid the price for our sins. He came back and the disciples, well, let's just read verse 19. This is after he came back. He was after resurrection. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. They were all scared. They were hiding in a room, the upper room. 
Jesus came and he stood in the midst and he saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said unto them, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. This is the greatest church service ever. Jesus showed up. He gave them peace. Then he breathed on them and he gave them the Holy Spirit. Nobody had had the Holy Spirit. Nobody had had the breath since God breathed into Adam. God breathed the creative breath, same breath, same word was used there, breathed it into Adam and made Adam in his image a creator. And then Adam and Eve chose sin and forfeited that. Now after the cross, after the resurrection, said Jesus breathed on them and gave them the creative breath of life, gave them the Holy Spirit back. He breathed on them. This was the best church service ever. The greatest thing. His exhale was our first breath of life. But look at this. He said, whosoever sins you remit are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Jesus is preaching to them and gave them the Holy Spirit in verse 24. But Thomas... One of the twelve called Didymus was not with them when Jesus came. Thomas wasn't there. He went to grab a gallon of milk or something. He wasn't there when it happened. The greatest service ever. Verse 25 says, And the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. You missed it. Jesus came. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the, into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. I don't even believe it. Shut up. I don't even want to hear it. That ever happened to you? Oh, you should have been here. Oh, man, I can't believe you weren't there last week. It was the best church service we've ever had. Oh, man, Pastor Dusty brought a word that was just life. Oh, if you would have been there, the worship team hadn't played that good in forever. It was wonderful. They were all there, every one of them. Tyler didn't have to work that week. Tracy was in town like they were all there. It was the best service ever. I got healed in my body. I'm, I'm pretty sure my... Uh, everything changed. You missed it. Of course, the one I wasn't there. The time I wasn't there. Sure, I missed it. Oh, you should have been at that party. It was amazing. And Thomas is like, shut up. I don't even want to hear that. I don't even believe you. I don't, I, I, I'm not even going to believe it unless I see it with my own eye. Unless I see Jesus and I touch the nail scars on his hands and I stick my fingers in his side. That's the only way I'm going to believe it. So you could just shut up about how good of a church service y'all had and y'all got the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right.
So that's what was going on. Now, I would think if they had great faith, if they had great trust, they would have been having a tomb party. Right? They would have been down there at the tomb because they know he's coming back. They got great trust, great faith. They wouldn't be hiding in a room somewhere afraid of the Jews. I mean, they'd have been down there cooking out by the tomb waiting on him to come back. Had the Bee Gees out there singing, Life, 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 staying alive. I think they were around back then. <clears throat> but they were all hiding in a room. And now, Jesus came back and He did this great thing and He proved that what He said was true and they all got this great faith and trust in the Holy Spirit. But, problem, one of the disciples that's been following Jesus around and taught by Him is now declaring His unbelief. I will not trust unless I see proof. I don't believe anymore. I don't trust. I don't trust Jesus, I don't trust God, and I don't trust y'all. I don't believe you. And I'm not going to believe it until I see some proof. We can't even make all 12 of the disciples believe. How are we supposed to take this to the whole world? Peter's probably sitting there thinking, my God, that dude walked around with us. He heard everything I heard. He won't even believe. How am I supposed to share this with the world? What will Jesus do? Verse 26. Let's read three more verses. And after eight days again, his disciples were within. And Thomas with them. He was with them this time. Then came Jesus. The doors being shut. He just showed up. Walked through the door. And stood in the midst. And he said, peace be unto you. I'm back. He showed up again. Said, peace be unto you to all them. Hey, guys, peace be unto you. I'm back. Then saith he to Thomas. Jesus showed up in that room. He already came. He already did the work. He already gave him the Holy Spirit. He already came back and revealed himself. And he came back for one reason. He came back for his buddy Tom. He said, hey. He said, hey guys, I'm back. And he looked at Thomas. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy fingers and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand. And thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God, I believe. Jesus said, Hey, Tom, I came back for you, I came back for the one. We serve the God that will leave the 99 and go back for one. One lost sheep. One unbelieving. One little dummy. It's a reckless love. It, it doesn't make sense. 
Jesus came back for the one. Do I want a hundred kids at youth? Yeah. But I'm more concerned with the one. He came back just for Thomas. Even when he didn't believe. And you know what I noticed about Thomas? Even when Thomas didn't believe, he stayed connected. He didn't run away. He was there in the room with the other disciples. He stayed connected and surrounded by people that trusted and believed in what he was struggling with. Man, he was, ha- he was struggling. He was having a hard time. He didn't even believe it. But he stayed connected and surrounded by people that did believe. By people that had bigger faith than him at the moment. By people that were able to trust. He surrounded himself with them. And Jesus came after him. Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And it tells us that without faith or trust, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because it's who we are. We were created for relationship. That's what God created us for. Relationship with himself and each other. And without faith and trust, we can't be in relationship with God or each other. What pleases God is when you are what he called you to be. When you are what he purposed you to be. So without faith, it's impossible to please God because without faith, it's impossible to be in relationship Without trust, real good relationship with God and people, we have to have faith. We have to believe. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, we believe. Help our unbelief. God, we thank you for growing us up. God, we thank you that you see us where we are. Every single one of us may be on a different place in the path of life, a different part of the journey. So God, help us to acknowledge you in all of our ways, in every spot on the trail. We're looking for you. Help us to trust. Help us forgive so that we can trust and that our faith can grow. God, give us hope for the future. We love you. Thanks for loving us. Thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.